John 1, 14 to 18. It's on page 1647, if you have a red Bible. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has, been, has made him known. I'm a little bit nervous, I don't know why really, but um, it's good to see everyone here this morning. And we're at that time of the year again. It's crazy how quickly it rolls again, only a few days out to Christmas. And where did the, where did the year go? It's just so quick. And maybe your Christmas break is looking nice and relaxing with plenty of time for reflection, but maybe it's looking like a bit of a silly season. And it's looking pretty hectic with plenty of catch-ups with the in-laws. Yeah, plenty of catch-ups with the in-laws or the outlaws, as they might be. <laughs> but whatever the case, these verses this morning are packed with truth that I believe our hearts really need to hear and be reminded of this Christmas. And my first feeling upon reading these verses was a sense of awe. These, the words just sound amazing and awesome. They just sound really important and I think even if I understood nothing about the Christian faith I think I would still have the sense that these words could so easily be life-changing let's read them again the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory the glory as of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth and John testified concerning him he cried out saying this is the one I spake about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And out of his fullness have we all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father. He has made him known. I feel like there's so many things you could focus on from those verses, but as I reflected, I was struck by the theme of the glorious grace of God revealed in these verses. Verse 14 says, we have seen his glory, full of grace. And it seems quite staggering to me that the writer John penned these words, we have seen and comprehended and gazed on the glory of God, the glory of Jesus as he lived his life on earth and the result of the observation of Jesus glory is that he's full of grace and I don't know about you but if I'd written those words I probably would have said we've seen his glory full of power or might 
or miracles or supernatural ability to heal. Yet John says we've seen his glory full of grace and truth. And of that fullness we have received grace in place of grace. So let's explore this morning why the Apostle focuses on grace. Let's look at how Jesus demonstrates grace that meets us where we're at. Let's look at how Jesus' grace overflows abundant grace to us and how his grace sets us on a transformed pace and a transformed path as we receive his grace. And if you're a kid this morning, I actually need your help as well and the adults. So giving their heads up, there will be three pictures related to three points that will pop up on the screen at random points, at which case you can interrupt me because we'll answer a question at that point just to keep you on track and, and, and keep, keep us all engaged. But with that privilege comes great responsibility, so you have to watch the screen really carefully. And if you don't see any pictures, I've forgotten, so just put your hand up and remind me. <laughs> so as we come and look at this passage, shall we pray? Father, as we pause to look at these verses, before we launch into the business of Christmas, we pray that you would still our hearts and speak to us by the power of your word. We pray you would encourage us and challenge us and ignite in us a fresh understanding of your glorious grace. Amen. So do you all remember the video that Ben played a few weeks ago? It was called 321 of John 1, where um, Ben reminded us of the Trinity, God in three persons united in love. And we saw Jesus as introduced as a member of the Trinity, not as an isolated superpower, but as a member of a cohesive, deep relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead coexisting in perfect harmony and relationship. And John starts out in these verses reminding us that the Son became flesh so that we might hear from the Word, capital W, and be invited into that same relationship that exists in the Trinity. And John defines the grace of Jesus in the backdrop of that relationship by retelling events in the whole book of John that shows that Jesus' grace is relationship plus Jesus taking complete initiative and complete investment on the part of Jesus. It's relationship plus, and that's what we'll think about. You've probably heard this definition of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, the acronym, and that's sort of what I want us to keep in mind as we go through the passage this morning. And grace met us where we're at at the cross and meets us where we're at this morning. So an opening question, are you doubting that Jesus' grace meets you where you're at in your circumstances and your struggles? You would think that if Jesus, God, graciously invites us into relationship, it would be at best somehow meeting in the middle. You know, Jesus might put in a bit of effort, but then we sort of fill the gap and put in a bit of effort as well to try and win ourselves into good favour. But John says, come and see. He doesn't make a statement and then say, you better believe it. But he says, come and see, and then spends the next 20 chapters of John driving home his point, illustrating the glory that he beheld, 
the fullness of grace that he gazed on, culminating in the cross. I mean, straight after those verses that Isaac read, in verse 39 of chapter 1, John's disciples start trailing after Jesus and they ask him, Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and you will see. Straight up, we see the gracious invitation of the creator of the universe. Shortly after that, Jesus met Nicodemus at night because Nicodemus was way too scared to approach Jesus during the daytime. And then there was a Samaritan woman at the well where she was collecting water. Unthinkable grace for a Jew to meet, to go out of his way to talk to a Samaritan woman. I mean, Jesus' grace was essentially a disgrace to the religious order of the day. Think of the story of the woman who committed adultery in John 8. The Pharisees were adamant she had to be stoned. But Jesus said, let the one among you who is without sin first throw a stone. And Jesus, as the only one who hadn't sinned, showed grace and forgave freely. Jesus came to open blind eyes and set captives free and gives new life. There are just so many examples in the book of John that he steps through. The disciples beheld in John 9 as Jesus spat on the ground and he made mud with the saliva and rubbed it on someone's eyes and completely healed him. Not very graceful, but completely grace-filled. Jesus, the Son of God, was Jesus the servant. John saw Lazarus raised from the dead where Jesus' glorious, grace-filled concern for Mary saw Jesus weep and mourn with her and in the same moment powerfully raised Lazarus from the dead. Just before the Passover meal, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, bending down and kneeling in front of the very disciples that he created and graciously wiping the dust and dirt and grime and mud off their feet, not very graceful, but completely grace-filled. And there is, these are just a few examples of John as he walks us through the life of Jesus, showing how Jesus meets, met people where they're at and culminating in the journey to the cross. John beheld Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus passionately prayed for his disciples. John heard about the crowds as they mocked Jesus. He heard about Jesus being brought before Pilate and the Sanhedrin and saw Barabbas taking, Jesus taking the place of Barabbas, who was a murderer. He saw Jesus condemned to death. John was actually the only disciple who firsthand saw Jesus' glorious grace as he prayed for the very men who put him to death on the cross. This wasn't grace that struck a middle ground of mutual effort. But Jesus' love was completely one-sided. John 3.16, as we heard read before, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So this morning, are you somehow doubting that Jesus knows and understands your situation? Are you doubting that Jesus' grace is really real enough for what you're going through. John would say to us that Jesus Christ not only meets us where we're at this morning, but Jesus Christ goes so far beyond and assures us of the safety and security of being a child in his family.
That's not the first picture. <laughs> we will get there. Ah, <laughs> that looks like a picture. <laughs> All right, there's a question about this one. Which picture would you expect Jesus to be born into? Ooh. <laughs> Anyone under 15? Yes, buddy. The stable. Yes, that's good. Good comprehensive answer. And I do have some chocolates as well, so well done. <laughs> Whoop. They are fantails, so I'm gonna, not going to try and ping them at people. <laughs> I think that's really a good reminder this morning, because Jesus could have been born in Buckingham Palace. He should have been born in Buckingham Palace. But John beheld the reality of Jesus Christ as the creator of the universe humbled himself from heaven's glory to birth in a manger with animals as spectators and torn up bits of cloth as a swaddle. Right through to seeing Jesus become obedient unto death, the death on a cross like a criminal. John gazed on grace that allowed Jesus to be treated as a common criminal, where he had to drag his own cross outside of Jerusalem, Jerusalem's walls and up to the hill of Golgotha, he allowed his own creation to hammer nails through his hand. And Jesus died, crushed by the weight of your sin and my sin, and paid the penalty that I could never pay and bear, bore the burden of sin that I could never bear. So in this morning, in the darkest and hardest of places, grace shines a light onto our hearts and reminds us that Jesus' grace made a way, a way of redemption, of healing. So will you daily receive grace? As you contemplate Jesus' grace for you, will you take time this Christmas to reflect on what Jesus has done for you? Because this grace as we look at our second point, this grace is overflowing, abundant grace. It's so freely available to us. In verse 14, John talks about one full of glorious grace. And in verse 16, it says, out of his fullness have we all received grace, in place of grace, or grace upon grace. We can experience Jesus Christ to survive, to survive and thrive in the circumstances of life. And this is only found in our receiving relationship with Jesus. The saving grace of Jesus is a present eternal, it's a present eternal tense. Like it isn't just a past thing. But when Jesus saved us, it's present and it's eternal. It's something we have forever. It's not a stopgap measure just to save us from hell and secure a new position. But just like a new birth in Jesus and a new identity never changes, so access to grace, it just never stops. It never 
cuts out. Romans 5.2 says, Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So maybe this morning you might be feeling a bit lukewarm, kind of hobbling over the line to Christmas, hobbling over the line of another year, about to pop your head up into so many catch-ups and craziness. Or maybe you're overwhelmed or short on true rest. But John would remind us that Jesus' fullness of grace, he would remind us there's no shortage of grace at the source. There's no supply issue. Jesus is the source of the energy we need. The past event of Jesus' death on the cross secured for us all a privileged position in God's family so that we receive grace out of the same fullness of grace that exists in the Godhead. Which, to be honest, I can't really wrap my head around that, so that's something to wait to go away and think about. But what these teachers verse, teach us, verses teach us is that we have a present daily access to the fullness of God's grace. Ooh, that looks like another picture. <laughs> so the question on this one is, which picture better shows us how much grace Jesus has given us and wants to give us? There's a bit to that question. I'll say it again. Which picture shows us how much grace Jesus has given to us? Adults can't answer. (laughs) Yes. Well done. (laughs) Well done, Mia. I really do think the the waves or or the ocean in that right-hand picture is it's it's a good, helpful way to describe grace upon grace. It's not just grace. It's grace flowing upon grace. The Greek really has that idea of abundant grace, overflowing grace, like a wave or a waterfall tumbling over itself. And that's actually how a wave works. There's a bit of stationary water and the wave comes along with energy, hits that, and it tumbles over it and just keeps on going. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen the waves of the ocean dry up? Such is the grace of God continually to us. In chapter 7, John records Jesus standing up and saying, Let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within him. So however fast you feel like you need to inhale the grace of God into your lives, it will never run out. The supply will never stop. How do I know that? Well, let's look at verse 15. John testified concerning Jesus, and he cried out, saying, This is the one who I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Hang on, let's get this straight. So Jesus came after John, which is true, because in the other Gospels, Elizabeth birthed John the Baptist, and then her cousin Mary birthed Jesus. So Jesus did come after, born about six months after But John is saying that Jesus was before. So what does that mean if he was born after? Well, in John 1 and Genesis 1, it says, 
in the beginning God created. And we're reminded in other sermons that Jesus was present at the creation. And Jesus is the only human in the world to ex exist before his birth because he was created. The word became flesh. And the immeasurably complete character of God, of power, spoke the span of the universe into being. Jesus just spoke words. And the sun and the moon and the stars and the solar systems and the plants came into being, right down to the intricacy of a single cell and the beauty of a, of a snowflake. The glorious, in that same way, the glorious grace of God is infinitely available to us in that same measure that of Jesus, the magnitude of Jesus' creation. So grace upon grace, abundantly available grace. There was a Christian writer back around when John was around in first century AD. He was called Philo, which is a good name. Um, and he wrote, and it's a bit wordy, but he wrote because of this, and he was talking about this particular verse, because of this, God restrains and regulates the first graces. After that, he bestows other graces in place of those graces, and third graces in place of second graces, and always new graces in place of older graces. And then sometimes different graces, but other times the same graces again. Which is interesting to hear from someone who was a contemporary of John around the same time, because he would have really understood what John meant. And it really has that idea of abundant grace, an overflowing grace, a complete lack of shortage of grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. And when we receive grace, it signaled an end of the grace shortage for eternity for us. The Amplified Bible says, For out of his fullness, the superabundance of his grace and truth, we have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favour upon favour, and gift heaped upon gift. Are you burdened this morning with sin or shame? We are offered abundant grace, grace upon grace, because we need it again and again, don't we? So if you're feeling like you don't really have enough grace to keep going, you know what? You're actually correct. You're 100% correct. You don't have enough resources in and out of yourself. But God invites you, like the Apostle John, to stretch out your hands and to receive, to acknowledge how desperately you need God's grace in your life, how desperately you need to see Jesus in a new way and to discover those storehouses of God's riches that are available to you. Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So do you want to grow this morning? Do you want to grow in that grace which is so abundantly available? And as we finish up, you might be thinking, I understand what you're getting at. You've said that God's grace meets us exactly where we're at, and then God's grace abundantly overflows to us and is abundantly available. But have you really explained what God's grace looks like in daily life? Which is a good question. Thanks for asking. <laughs> and I think that the answer is very much held in our individual 
relationship with Jesus. Like, I can't prescribe for you exactly what God is doing in your life at the moment. But what I do know is that God's grace is completely transformative. If grace is truly working in our life, it will make a difference. It's not just a nice theory that we can accept and then get on with our day. And I think that helps me understand what a receiving relationship of grace looks like. It's where God is putting his finger on in our lives and we respond in surrender. It's realising that God has given us everything we need to respond to him daily and we have those resources available. A receiving relationship is a surrendered heart and I think if there's one thing that you could take away today, it would be that. So there were a couple of things that I was, I think God was putting his finger on in my life as I read these verses. It was sort of combined with um, a stat I heard the other day where apparently the average walking relationship in New York or Manhattan is a lot faster than any other city in the world. And it, it, the walking pace increases just by virtue of being in that city. And you might think, well, those people probably would be healthier because they're moving faster and they're getting their heart rates up. But you know what? The rates of heart disease in that city are far higher than any other city in the world. And I think that's something I can really relate to. Not that I have heart disease, but um, just that, that thought of being consumed by performance or anxious about performance, stressed to do, feeling like you always have to deliver, permanently running behind schedule, trying to make every minute count and plotting this next step up whatever ladder there is. Yet the message of God is that it is finished. The work of grace has been done. We don't have to strive. We can breathe in. Knowing with certainty the only position that matters is safety and security in relationship with Jesus, with our Heavenly Father. Ben reminded us of the four Gs. Do you remember them? That we probably talked about a couple of years ago. God is gracious. So we don't have to prove ourselves. God is good. So we don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. And I think this passage reminds us that all those other things are infinitely inferior to receiving Jesus' grace day by day. The person of Jesus is better than anything this world can offer. And in Jesus, we can overcome the restless striving for success and satisfaction. So I'm not sure how you're feeling in the lead up to Christmas. Maybe you dread the silly season with a passion. Maybe so much to get done. Everything's kind of bunched up and you just try and get over the line. But I found this to be a challenging reminder for me that Jesus' grace enables me to just breathe, to slow down, and, I, and have permission to just spend time in close relationship with Jesus. As Barney's vision says, we saw it before, helping people to become and grow as followers of Jesus who rest in grace. Think of Adam and Eve just before they sinned. They just coexisted with God in a beautiful simplicity. They walked with God in the cool of the day. As a society is perpetually trying to get us to set a different pace, 
to move faster and accept more pressure. But Jesus' grace allows us to set a different path and a different pace. It allows us to rest in spite of circumstances. Not just rest when circumstances change. Ooh, there we go. So, final question. Which person do you reckon in this picture is living in God's grace? Which picture best describes God's grace? I'm looking at you, Evelyn. (laughs) 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 Yes, good one. Any other thoughts? The beach, yes. And reading a book that could be the Bible, so that's, that could be ultimate rest. <laughs> but do you know what? I think the best answer is that all of the pictures do. You know why? Because in spite of the circumstances going in our life, we can experience and know and have a settled rest in our hearts. It doesn't matter what we're doing, whether we're looking at the most beautiful scenery in the world or we're charging through a busy day. We can, in Christ, Jesus' grace is just so abundantly available so we can know true rest. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Or as the Amplified Bible says, You will keep him in perfect and constant peace whose mind is steadfast and committed and focused on you because he and she trusts and takes refuge in you with hope and a confident expectation. So will you spend this Christmas meditating on and cultivating a hope and a confident expectation in the one who is full of glorious grace? I was thinking about the word meditate as well. And it's something that I haven't really thought of meditate apart from maybe a yoga concept and a gym thing. But I just remembered that the word meditate is actually used many times in the Bible. It's at least 27 times. Um, And it really has that idea of revolving the truth of Jesus around and around in our minds and eagerly devouring that truth. So how much time are we willing to take apart to truly meditate? Is that something we'll be willing to do this Christmas? And I think another example of receiving grace might be living in Christian community. Just like the Godhead exists in relationship, so the church community exists in relationship with each other. And what a privilege it is in God's grace to be able to serve one another, to be able to help one another, comfort one another, celebrate with each other, mourn with each other, see each other when we're just not ourselves, and that's okay. Pray for each other. And in doing so, we're like John. We're creating living examples of what the grace of Jesus looks like, what Jesus' glorious grace is to the people around Barney's and in our community. So my final question is, what is our burning quest? Is it to form Jesus' image in our lives? Are you willing to inhale that truth so you can exhale anxiety and stress 
and worry or anger or rage. Verse 14 says, We have seen and behold and gazed on. And I often think about the possibility of going through life not really seeing, if you know what I mean, having some simple, plain truth there in my front of my eyes. It's kind of my greatest fear, and not actually getting that when it was there the whole time. Um, and something that made me think of that is the other day I was just looking at this wall, as you do, just looking at this wall, and I realised that there was, and I hadn't even really seen this before, but there was this big circular thing embedded in the wall, and it's got, you know, lead light in there as well, and the sun was just sort of setting in the sky, and it was just, you know, the sun was catching the lead light as it, as it shone through, and I was like, how on earth did I not see that before? Because <laughs> I just race in, race out. Yeah. But do you, you see my point? Let's just stop and be willing to spend time really seeing and comprehending and gazing on the character of Jesus, even over this Christmas break. Let's prioritise time even in the circumstances of life. Amen.